After a well start to the season, things are now beginning to settle down. Underdogs will continue to pull up upsets in the NFL week after week. However, as the season progresses, stronger rivals will rise. The Rams won 26-17 against Seahawks on Thursday night football, but both teams' quarterbacks were injured. Matthew Stafford played through the injury. The Seahawks, on the other hand, are more concerned about quarterback Russell Wilson's health after he was forced to leave the game in the third quarter with a finger injury to his throwing hand. Week 5 of the National Football League is jam-packed with exciting games and our NFL team is here to bring us the major game keys, predictions and free picks. Thanks for watching and enjoy the show. NFL Week 5 Pick Show and Chris, a continuing trend here. Before we even get to the weekend slate, you're off to another strong start thanks to Thursday night. Uh, yeah, I was looking a little dicey because uh, I laid the two instead of the money line. Uh, but uh, sometimes you got to do that. You can't overpay for a money line price. So I was worried about it landing on two for a while. But uh, slow start for the Rams. Happy to have a win under my belt and uh, confident it's going to be a good weekend. Yeah, well, a win under your belt. Unfortunately, no losses under minor Scott's to start the week. I mentioned on the Tuesday show having a lean to the Seahawks in a teaser. And I feel like I dodged a bullet there between the Russell Wilson injury and that last minute field goal. That would have been a tilting way to start the week. So fortunately, staying out of the loss column for now. And Scott, fortunately for you, that over was also just a lean. Yep. And I was uh, I was actually when they were kicking that field goal, I was thinking about you. And good thing you didn't make that play in the teaser. Horrible way to lose if that if you would have had that. Yeah, I know a lot of people are uh, off to a rough start because of that, but we're off to a pretty clean start for the week collectively. And on that note, we can pull up our records through the first four weeks of the season. We've got a nice full screen graphic for the YouTube audience. And we see that Chris is showing his 10 and 9. But with that Rams win last night, Chris's record up to the minute is 11 and 9. I'm 8 and 6 thus far. Scott, the leader of the pack to this point, 9 and 5 collectively. 27 and 20 with four pushes through four weeks and at this point we're going to go ahead and break down the rest of the week five board plus some best bets this week a couple quick housekeeping items before we kick that off if you're joining us on youtube please go ahead and give us a thumbs up subscribe jump in the live chat and friendly reminder you can sign up today at betus using the promo code nfl2021 to collect a 125 percent sign up bonus and for more information on that, you can check out the link below this video. Guys, digging into the weekend slate, we've got a game extra early on Sunday morning. The Jets taking on the Falcons in London. Currently, the line at BetUS has the Falcons favored by two and a half at minus 115. Total of 45. That's been ping-ponging between 43 and a half and 46 over the course of the week. Kind of settling in the middle now. And Chris, I feel like Scott and I have, have more or less deplaned after the Jets had a very fair win and cover last week. But you're staying on board as they fly across the pond to take on the Falcons, looking at the money line in this one? Yeah, I, I do worry just a little bit because Atlanta's been to uh, London a few times before, and it's uh, the Jets' first visit to London. So hoping that they're not distracted by anything. Uh, but I think with the new coach and stuff, uh, they'll be focused. Yesterday, they announced Ridley and uh, their second best receiver, if his name escapes me, is going to be out. So second Gage. week in a row that uh, uh, the Jets face a team missing their top two receivers, which helps because uh, the Jets secondary isn't in the best of shape either. Uh, but I see these teams as basically equal uh, in my ratings. Uh, the Jets are actually the higher rated team. This is a neutral site. I don't believe they should be getting points. And uh, I could lay the two and a half or get the plus two and a half, but getting the plus 125 in this situation is the better value. So I'll take it on the money line, plus 125. Yeah, and Scott, this game has the makings of a comparison you made in last week's Jets matchup, going back to a game against the Browns last season. Another opponent for the Jets, shorthanded at wide receiver. And how does that have you looking at this matchup? Yeah, uh, you know, they played the Browns last year. Uh, they were basically missing all the receivers because of COVID. And then, as we said last week, no Julio Jones, no A.J. Brown. 
Uh, and here we go again this week. They're getting you know, no Ridley. Now, Gage has been out for a while, but he's still you know probably their second best receiver. So they're getting another team here, um, minus all their receivers, which just gives them a fighting chance to uh, stay in this game. Yeah, and while it could be tough for the Falcons to generate some big plays without their top two receivers, the Jets have been generating some big pass plays of their own, and Atlanta might be pretty accommodating defensively to keep that trend going. Yeah, the, the Jets are top 10, you know, as bad as their offense has been, they're top 10 in the league in generating big pass plays. Atlanta is bottom 10. They've got Jamison Crowder now, who, um, you know, came in last week and had a very good game for him. And, you know, just look, you look at these teams and yes, the Jets offense isn't good. But when you look at them compared to the opponents that they played, it is still a better offense than Atlanta's offense. And they actually have a slightly better defense as well. I make the Jets a half point favorite. I did play them early in the week at plus three and a half. That's long gone now. Um, so it's probably not a play for me anymore. But um, I do like the Jets uh, in this game. Yeah, I'll go ahead and pass on the side and total at the current number. I would say right now I lean to the over. I think we saw last week that Jets offense is capable at times when Wilson's not pressured. It's kind of tough to say it, but I think we started to see signs of it. And the Jets defense last week on the field for more than 40 minutes and more than 90 snaps. So I think they could be, you know, extra fatigued on top of that travel to another country this week. And that could be ideal for even a shorthanded Falcons offense to put up some points of its own. Moving along to the normal 1 p.m. Eastern window on Sunday, we've got Miami traveling a shorter distance to take on Tampa Bay. The Bucks currently a 10-point favorite for reduced fig, total of 48. And Scott, what do you think of this matchup? Well, you know, it's um, we've seen Miami play here, but Miami, they're averaging four yards of play uh, against a collection of teams that uh, have allowed five yards of play. So they're a full one yard uh less than the, an average team in terms of yards per play. The offense has been horrible. The only other team in the league that's worse than them is Chicago. So, uh, you know, just from that standpoint, and yes, we know Tampa Bay has got some injuries in the secondary and whatnot, uh, but it, it just, it kind of shocks me, Matt, uh, how bad this Miami offense has been. Uh, and that's going to make it difficult for them, I think, to move the ball consistently in this game, to stay in this game, which is obviously why the, the, the point spread is where it at, it's at. There's no shocker there. Yeah, and when it comes to the Bucks' offense being on the field, kind of like the previous game, this could be another matchup where we could be primed for some pretty big plays. Yeah, you know, the Tampa Bay, they lead the league in big pass plays. Miami, shockingly, uh, and we kind of called for a regression with their defense a little bit, but they are last in the league and giving up big pass plays. The other thing to note here, first of all, Tampa hasn't been home for a couple of weeks, so hopefully maybe coming home, uh, this, this works for them. And since Brady got there last year, when they've been a favorite of seven or more points, they've scored 31 or more points in five of those six games. Uh, so uh, I, in, the, in the other game they didn't, they scored 26 points. So I think they've got a very good chance of going over the team total of 28 and a half points in this game. Uh, I make I, I, I make them about 32. So I like them over the team total uh, in this game. Got it. Yeah. And Chris, it sounds like you might be looking to go the other way on the side, but perhaps not quite enough to go ahead and pull the trigger at this stage. Well, it, it, situationally, this is a this is one of these circumstances where you, a lot of people are going to blindly want to play Miami. And, uh, it, you know, digging in deeper, my metrics have Tampa Bay favored by closer to 14. So those conflict pretty heavily in my mind. I've, I have Miami as the worst team in the league right now, again, for the second week in a row. I'm just going to sit this one out. I, I just uh, I just feel too uncomfortable with the, the flat spot for Tampa Bay. Uh and Fuller being out and, and just Miami's inconsistency. And uh, so nothing wrong with doing uh, uh, a little bit of uh, sitting out on this one for me. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I, I hear Scott's bet on the Bucks team total over. I'm more interested when Miami has the ball. Uh, guys, what's the opposite of the adage that the unstoppable force takes on the immovable object? I mean, in this case, we've got a Bucks secondary and shambles. And the Dolphins' offense last week, less than 23 minutes of possession. They couldn't even stay on the field for 50 plays. I don't know if it's going to be must-see TV because it could be like a car wreck you can't take your eyes off of, or if it's just going to be so unpalatable that nobody's going to want to watch it. So I'll go ahead and pass on this one as well. 
a matchup that could be a bit more palatable. We can head to Carolina, where the Panthers will be hosting the Eagles. Bet US currently has the Panthers laying three, total at 45. And Chris, some kind of surprising news. Christian McCaffrey back at practice for the Panthers. What do you make of that heading into this one? Yeah, that is a surprise. We expected him to be out longer, and he's listed as questionable. So I'm not necessarily buying it, but uh, as you'll see, my eyes dart left to my scrolling injury updates. Uh, I'm waiting for the latest update to come through on on whether he's a go or not. He claims he's a, he's a go. Uh, so that would make that game uh, a lot more interesting, uh, to say the least, uh, facing a Philadelphia Eagles team, which is, you know, having, you know, very much success with the, their offensive EPA. So um, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to wait. I'm going to see if McCaffrey's playing. I, I lean Carolina at this point. My uh, it's, it's really a borderline play for me. And I I, I just haven't made a decision on it at this point. Uh, but uh, there was one other thing I wanted to say. Oh, uh, I, it was a good sign for Carolina because they picked up a few people uh, within the last week. And it really indicates that they're not going for the slow rebuild. They they feel like they have the tools this year to compete. So uh, that, that was kind of uh, surprising to see that they're being so aggressive in the free agent market. So... Uh, that's another reason I'm looking Carolina's way because I expect optimal uh, effort. Uh, I know the Sharps like Philadelphia. I, I might be fading the Sharps on this game. Yeah, well, uh, to add to your point, I know the Panthers traded for C.J. Henderson last week and then the big acquisition of Stephon Gilmore earlier this week. Gilmore not eligible until week seven, I believe. But to your point, something to keep an eye on. The Patriots could be super competitive in the immediate future. And Scott, as far as this game is concerned, it could largely come down to the trenches. Yeah, it's interesting having seen Philadelphia give up 40 plus points each of the last two weeks. When I looked at my numbers, uh, they're actually above average at the line of scrimmage on both offense and defense from a yards per play standpoint relative to the competition they paid, played, and it's actually better than Carolina. But from a success rate standpoint, Carolina is actually better than Philadelphia, which tells me on a play-by-play, down-by-down basis, I think Carolina has been a little bit more efficient. Maybe Philly's yard per play numbers are a little bit better because they've hit some big plays as well. Um, so, you know, I, I make Carolina one one point four point favorite, and I project thirty nine point two points. So I was looking at this this morning. The totals up there pretty high. Uh, I haven't done anything with it yet, but I may make a play on the under, uh, especially if it stays over forty four, uh, just because it, it looks like there might be some value on the under there. No play for me in the side. I, I don't. I still don't know what to think with Philadelphia, but again, from the line of scrimmage, the numbers have not been bad. Uh, and let's remember, they just came off of Dallas and Kansas City. Two very, very good offenses. So, um, and that's why, you know, when you look at it versus their competition, you know, their numbers are not so bad because they've just played two great offenses. Yeah, another pass for me in this one as well. I'm looking to see just how real that Panthers defense is in its current form. We talked about on last week's show, the first three weeks, they were dominant and they deserve credit for showing out against the schedule they were given. But then they had a big step up in class to Dallas and we all saw how that went. Also dealing with some injuries in the secondary. They've got some reinforcements coming, but not quite at full strength yet. This should be a bit of a step back down in class for the Panthers defense. So I'm looking to get a feel for their true colors on Sunday against the Eagles. Another team whose true colors we're all still waiting to find out would be the New Orleans Saints. Let's move on and talk Saints traveling to Washington. New Orleans currently laying two and a half, total 43 and a half. And Chris, while the Saints have been a Jekyll and Hyde team this season, you've got to pick on the side in this one. Uh, yeah, I do. It, it's their turn to win this week, so uh, um, you just have to follow the patterns. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but seriously, uh, the, the Saints are better. To, you know, the, the Giants actually have been putting their act together offensively for a few weeks now, and uh, Jones has stopped making his mistakes. And I feel like the Saints just kind of took the Giants a little bit too lightly and let them back in the game and things kind of fell apart. I think the, this is a perfect spot for the Saints to be extremely focused. They certainly can't uh, afford to have any more losses at this point. And, uh, you know, Washington's still kind of dinged up and, and their defense has been exposed as 
the dung I said it was going to be in uh, divisional previews. It's a it's a bottom ten defense, and uh, New Orleans even after that debacle last week is still a top five defense on my metrics. So uh, I'm asking them to win on the road with a short number. Um, uh, yeah, I, I've got a little apprehension on it, but uh, uh, I, I already pulled the trigger and I'm going with the Saints. Yeah, and Scott, when it comes to the Saints, it's been tough to pin down just who they are so far this season. What do you make of them heading into week five? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've said it all, all year. I've had problems with it. And then they've actually kind of played like that. And like Chris said, just follow the pattern. But I heard someone talking this week and they and I thought they said it very well. We have not seen the Saints personality really come out yet. They're all over the place. And and we'll see. Maybe that starts to get a little bit more consistent. So it's nothing for me because I've just had a really hard time reading this team. I will say this, though, uh, you know, Washington, Chris kind of alluded to it. Uh, Curtis Samuel, uh, Cam Sims, Brown at receiver, all not practicing yet this week. So that bears watching. They already lost their tight end, Logan Thomas. They lost their right guard, Shreff. Uh, now Schweitzer is going to play in, in place of him. It's not horrible, so it's not a huge loss. They lost their linebacker, John Bostic. Again, not a huge loss. But, you know, when you start losing all these pieces and you start to eat into the depth, uh, that starts to have a, a play on you as well. So uh, that receiver position really bears watching because you're missing potentially three receivers there. I think this is the time where uh, Sean Payton's got to uh, let Winston, you know, leave the nest and spread his wings finally. He's, he's babied him the whole season, uh, made him avoid mistakes. Uh, tight to the vest, tight play calling. He doesn't want to see a repeat of that 30-30 season in Tampa Bay. Uh, but uh, it's starting to cost the team. And this is the perfect defense for Winston to take his shots downfield and open up the offense a little bit. And when that happens, uh, they should see some success, uh, you know, unless uh, he really follows up. But uh, I have the confidence that, uh, you know, Winston's experience is, is going to show a little bit. and He's not going to make the same blunders that he had in Tampa Bay. Yeah, and on the other side of the ball, something I'm curious about that really jumped out when I reviewed last week's game for the Saints, their loss at home to the Giants, allowing more than eight yards per play to a shorthanded Giants offense down two of its top wide receivers. I'm really looking to see if the Saints can get right here, but just don't have enough trust to make a play either way in this one. So Saints-Washington, a pass for me. Speaking of teams that are tough to trust, guys, we've got two of them in this next matchup. Tennessee heading to Jacksonville. The Titans currently four and a half point favorites on the road, total 48 and a half. And Chris, it's kind of, you know, tough to know what to make of either of these teams at this stage. That's a continuing theme from the last game we broke down. So how are you looking at the Titans-Jags matchup? Well, I, I think uh, a lot of people are going to want to be jumping on this Tennessee team, but they're, I, I think they had something like 20 people on their injury li injury report. Uh, not that they're all going out, but uh, you do have A.J. Brown coming back, which is going to help them out. But uh, I'm not showing any advantage, believe it or not, as, as poorly as Jacksonville has played this year. Uh, I don't show the spread of these teams being different enough to substantiate uh, needing Tennessee to win by a touchdown. So uh, I'm going to sit this one out and uh, I'm going to see how Jacksonville responds after their Looney Tunes coach. Uh, 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 you know, is is back on the field and, and see see how what, how what kind of respect they actually show them and how much effort they show them. Yeah, well, as a USC grad, I can just say that I hope he stays in Jacksonville at least until the Trojans have moved on with their search for their next permanent head coach. But as far as this game goes, Scott, for the Titans, a lot could hinge on what we see from their offensive line. Yeah, their offensive line has been horrible. We remember week one, Arizona beat them up pretty badly. The Jets last week, I, I don't remember the number of sacks. It was at least seven sacks and, and maybe even more than that. Uh, they're third worst in the league in, in allowing sacks. Uh, Jacksonville's actually 10th in the league in putting on pressure, which is you know a little surprising to me. So they could create some problems there as well. Uh, Chris alluded to it, Adrian Brown's back. And I'm not here to tell you Adrian Brown's not a good receiver. We've seen him, but uh, Julio Jones has actually been having a pretty good year. And it looks like he may not play in this game. And as Chris said, uh, who knows what's going on with it. I actually show some value on Jacksonville in this game, but I can't take him. When, when Urban Meyer's out, you know, gallyagging on a Saturday night in a bar with some lady and stuff that tells me he's not hundred percent focused on this team. And, and obviously we don't know what impact that's having on the players. So 
I cannot play Jacksonville here, but I do show some some value with Jacksonville in this game. Yeah, and I'll go ahead and pass it. Again, the common thread here. Can't really trust either team. And it reminds me of a lesson I took away from knowing the late, great David Malinsky. Laying minus 110 in a game like this with all kinds of variants might as well be laying minus 115 when you do have more confidence in what you're going to see. I just feel like even though this is a flat point spread, it seems like you'd probably be paying extra big on either side because of all the uncertainty. So going to go ahead and find better spots to invest my money on the week five card. Next game on the board, the Detroit Lions traveling to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. And we've got a double-digit favorite now with Minnesota, up to minus 10. They were down in minus 7.5, minus 8 range earlier this week. But goodbye teaser territory for those Vikings. Total 49.5. And Chris, it's looking like it might be a rough go of it for your Detroit Lions due to some injuries across the board for their roster. Yeah, there's a little bit of updated news where uh, Campbell came out this morning and he, he, he's at least hopeful that Hawkinson and uh, Sewell, uh, the offensive uh, uh, rookie, uh, can play. Uh, if, if Boy, if both of those guys sat out, it, it'd be a complete and utter disaster because the, the list of available players uh, is, is shorter than the people that aren't available this week. Uh, it, it, it's scary. I mean, Goff should call in sick at this point uh, if it gets any worse. Uh, I'm going to watch this line continue to rise, and I might jump in on Detroit uh, at a higher level, maybe if it hits 11 or something like that, because realistically, uh, who's going to support the Lions? Uh, I I think it's going to be one-sided action. Uh, I said it when it was below 10 that it was going to hit 10 and cross 10, and it's on the way. Uh, uh, But... uh, that's all I can say. I'm keeping my eyes on it. It's a no play right now. If I see an 11, I'm going to hop on Detroit. Yeah, and what do you think the odds are we get to 11? I mean, it's already been a pretty line, pretty big line move up, again, from teaser territory, now squarely in double digits for the Vikings. Um, is it something that you're just keeping an eye on as a long shot, or do you think there's a pretty realistic shot that we do see that 11 flash before Sunday? I think it's possible. You know, I wouldn't put it in the long shot category. I, I would think it's. I think it's just possible. I, I think they're going to be getting one way action, and I think people that uh, tease tease games improperly are going to be teasing down from the ten and thinking getting under a touchdown is great. And uh, you're, they're going to have money line liability, and uh, you know all those little things add up uh, and, and cause a, a line to rise. Yeah, Scott, when it comes to this line rising, Chris touched on some one-way action. It kind of makes sense if you look at it from the standpoint of another matchup here where when the Vikings have the ball, we could be seeing a lot of big plays. Yeah, I mean, the Vikings are top 10 for big pass plays. Lions are bottom 10 for big pass plays. So we can see that happening and, you know, no, no surprise there where the line is. The other thing to look at, and, and this is a different regime here in Detroit, so this doesn't carry a ton of weight, but just looking back, the last five games that Detroit's been a road dog of seven or more, they've lost by 18, 21, 21, 10, and 13. The 18-point loss was this year at Green Bay. Uh, and again, it's a different regime, different quarterback, different players. So I don't put a lot of stock in that, but they they have struggled uh, when they've been uh, put in a position to be a large dog. So, uh, and, they, and they did this year in that first game against Green Bay or week two, I guess. So, I mean, we'll see what comes from that. And when it comes to the Vikings, there's also a situation on your radar that doesn't necessarily bode well for them either. Yeah, I've got a really strong situation that is just one year after year. I think it's had one losing year in the last 15 years. And, and this and my situations go all the way back to 1983 for many of them. Uh, and this one is just basically playing against what is defined as a large favorite, six or seven points, and also defined as an average team. So you've got an average team here in Minnesota uh, that is laying a large number. That usually does not bode well especially when Detroit's coming off uh, a loss last week. So they're, they're obviously going to be focused and hungry. So, uh, you know, does it happen or not? Who knows? Uh, but that situation traditionally has not fared well for the large favorite. I do make the number 13.3. So a lot of value with Minnesota or some value with Minnesota, although that situation probably brings that line down to about 11 points for me when you consider it. Um, but the Vikings are not in a very good situation uh, this week from that standpoint. So buyer beware, I guess, is what I would say. Yeah, and I also see on the notes, Scott, that you project this game to have fewer than 47 points. And I'll bring in a question from from the live chat. We had the polo asking about a favorite uh, over under this week. I don't think any of us feel great about any of the totals at the current numbers. 
But when you see a line like this, I mean, that's uh, what, 49 and a half at BetUS. So you're showing almost three points of value. Uh, is there a number at which you would go ahead and get in play on the under in this one? Yeah, maybe 51. Um, you know, the, the Vikings like to run the ball, number one. They get out to a big lead. They'll probably run the ball. Anyone, by the way, looking at maybe a Delvin Cook prop bet, just just be a little leery in that because he's been banged up. If they get a big lead, they, they won't have any problems, I, I would guess, pulling him out and going to Madison, who's a very capable running back, so keep that in mind. Uh, I think Detroit scored like 17 or less in, what, maybe three games in a row possibly. Uh, and then, obviously, they scored a bunch of backdoor stuff in week one against San Francisco. So, if look, if Detroit can't get past 17 and you've got a total of 51, uh, you know, what's, what's that? The Vikings are going to have to score 34 or more. Could they do that? Yeah. But they get to a big lead. They're going to probably want to run the ball. Um, the under may not be bad if this total keeps rising up. Yeah, and the Lions are 6-1 uh, and one to the under against Zimmer in Minnesota. So uh, another, uh, another trend favoring the under. One factor that would give me a little bit of pause there would be that Detroit had four drives inside the Bears' 10-yard line last week without scoring. So I think it's going to be hard not to see some sort of positive regression from their offense this week in Minnesota. But with all their injuries, and then on the other side, the, bike, the Vikings getting Anthony Barr back in the fold for their defense, uh, I, I don't want to lay double digits, but I also don't have any appetite to take a piece of the Lions here. So another pass for me. We'll get to some bets before too long. But at this point, let's move on to the next game on the card, Denver traveling to Pittsburgh. And this line's been ping-ponging around uh, throughout the course of the week with either team maybe being a short favorite. Right now, we're at Pick'em at BetUS. Total, a low 39.5. And, and Chris, some quarterback uncertainty on both sides here. Uh, with the Steelers, does it really even matter who their starter ends up being? I don't think it really matters much uh, at this point. Uh, I think if they sat Ben, frankly, it might uh, rejuvenate the team a little bit. Uh, there just seems to be a cloud around Ben this year, which is a big surprise why there would be a cloud around him. He volunteered to take a pay cut. He wanted to come back, and you know he seemed unhappy from, from the start. Uh, he should have known what he was getting himself into. Uh, it's just disappointing. They were victims of a bad call in Green Bay. Uh, that game would have gone entirely different. Uh, their schedule ahead is a nightmare. I have a feeling the balloon is deflating a little bit in Pittsburgh. And I'm not convinced, uh, even though Denver didn't play well uh, on the surface last week, they did do a lot of great things. They stopped uh, Baltimore's running game last week, and that's not the easiest task to do. And... Uh, we do see Teddy Bridgewater kind of practicing and showing up, but I think that that's just for show. I don't think he's going to play. I think we're going to see Drew Locke. I think Denver is more serious and more dedicated. I think they can rebound. I'm leaning toward Denver in this game. Scott, when it comes to how you look at this one, a lot of it could come down to Denver on offense, buying time for either quarterback, presumably Drew Locke, against that Pittsburgh defensive front. Yeah, I mean, the uh, you know, I favor Denver by about two and a half points in this game, so I'm kind of with Chris there. But And that's with Bridgewater. Uh, for, with with Locke in there, I didn't run the numbers. It's probably a couple points worse, I would guess. Uh, but um, Denver, you know, they're, they're bottom 10 in the league in giving up sacks, uh, percentage of sacks to passes, and Pittsburgh's top 10 in, the, in terms of pressure. So uh, they are going to put some pressure on him probably. And, you know, it, it kind of – I feel much better. We've talked about this before feel much better with Bridgewater in there. He's a more constant. Uh, Locke is just a huge variable in that. If Bridgewater played, uh, and especially if this went up to one and a half for Pittsburgh, which I highly doubt it's going to, but I would look at Denver in a teaser. But right now, I just lean Denver's way. Yeah, and I'll make it another lean toward Denver on my end as well. I think if Bridgewater starts, they go off as a favorite in this one. So a slight possibility of getting ahead of the number. But that said, if it is Locke indeed, then I think the number is more or less in the right place here. I'd say I just want more clarity on the quarterbacks before I put my money on this game. And if you are waiting for clarity on the quarterbacks and have any plans to bet, you're going to need to be pretty quick on the trigger because this line will probably move once we get some good confirmation. So just something to keep in mind with that Broncos-Steelers game on Sunday. One game where we don't need to wait. You guys have already fired a couple bets. Let's talk the Packers traveling to Cincinnati. BetUS currently has the Bengals at a juicy plus three, total 50 and a half. And Scott, what side do you take in this matchup? I like Cincinnati here, Matt. I, I did play them early in the week at three and a half, uh, so got the hook, but I would play them at plus three here uh, as well. 
Um, you know, if T. Higgins plays in this game, Cincinnati's got three wide receivers who are all in the top 25% in yards per route run. Uh, and their receiving court is is outstanding. And then you add in, we know the Packers defense isn't great to start with, and Jer Alexander is likely going to be out. He's not only a, a top cornerback for Green Bay, he's a top cornerback in this league. Kevin King maybe comes back this week. And if you're on Cincinnati, that is a blessing uh, that y- you know you should be praying for. Uh, this guy's bad. I'm surprised that the Packers even brought him back uh, this year. Um, Eric Stokes has been playing decent back there, cornerback. He's a rookie for him. But you know, beyond that, um, since he is going to spread this field and use all those receivers, and I see them being able to throw the ball in this game uh, consistently on this Green Bay defense. Yeah, and Chris, it seems like you're seeing eye-to-eye with Scott in this one. Yeah, I am. Uh, as I've said in the past, this Bengals team is a darn good team when they're healthy, and they're pretty darn healthy. Uh, last I saw, Mixon was you know 50-50 to play, and even if he's out, I think that that might help Burroughs uh, utilize his receivers more and go more to a passing game. And we know Green Bay you know, has weakness in their secondary, so that may not be all that bad for them. I, I have Cincinnati the better team. I mean, I, I really do. I, I don't know why Green Bay is giving points uh, on the road in Cincinnati at this point. You know, you've got the aura of Rodgers on national TV, and it sounds crazy, but uh, fundamentally across the, the 55 uh, metrics that I chart, uh, Cincinnati's the better team. So giving me three, that's a gift. You know, anything can happen in one game, but I'm going to win more times than not in this situation. 55 metrics. We're going to have to see if we can get you to peel back the curtain on a few of these over the course of the season so that our audience can get some more insight into the life of a pro better. I think a lot of sharps on Cincinnati, so that sounds like a pretty professional take there. I'm going to go ahead and just lean to the over at this number. Um, I think that neither defense is great. We know how good Rodgers can be, even with some injuries surrounding him. And Joe Burrow has shown a lot of promise after some disappointing news in training camp. So a lot of upside for both offenses here. And really my biggest takeaway looking at this matchup, week one is looking like a more distant memory every day, it seems, for the Packers. Um, So I'll be curious to see what happens in what should be a pretty competitive contest in Cincinnati. Moving on to the next game on the board, New England at Houston. And if week one's a distant memory for the Packers, it's a very fond memory for the Texans. Things have changed in a pretty big way for them since then. We've got the Patriots currently laying nine at even money. Another total of 39 and a half. Guys, two totals below 40 in 2021. Don't know what the odds are that we would have seen that before the season kicked off. Scott, it's a pretty big number, but you can see why with some matchups in favor of the visiting Patriots. Yeah, I mean, you watch that Patriot game on Sunday night uh, against Tampa Bay and the pressure they put on Tom Brady with Juden and company. Um, I just feel sorry for Davis Mills. I mean, he's just too inexperienced. And go back to week two and, you know, what New England did to uh, the Jets rookie quarterback, Zach Wilson. Uh, I see a lot more of that potentially happening here as well. So, um, you know, there's some other things that we can get into that, you know, would maybe keep me off of New England. But um, just from a matchup standpoint, This is a very, very difficult matchup for uh, Houston to compete in. Yeah, and Chris, when it comes to teams that were undressed like the Texans were last week, uh, how do you think that bodes for them in a potential bounce back spot in this one? Um, Can I be honest and say I don't care? I mean, uh, (laughs) uh, seriously, uh, these, these teams, these guys are veterans. When you get embarrassed... Uh, like they were last week, they damn well better show up with maximum effort. So you have to sort of expect that. And then, you know, that's kind of a flat spot for New England uh, traveling on the road. It just seems like a, you know, if you could put a, uh, a, a, you know, a weather forecast to the game, it would be dark and gloomy, you know, overcast skies type of game. So I want nothing to do with the game. Uh, I, I, I see a reason for Houston to do well, and I see a reason for New England to be kind of flat. But New England, New England could roll this team, too. So we're just going to have to see. I have some breaking news, though. Teddy Bridgewater has been cleared to practice and participate. So uh, he's uh, not necessarily just for show. Uh, he may be a go this week. 
All right. Well, if you guys want to see if you can get down it, pick them. Um, I'll, I'll give you a breather for a moment and say that with this New England-Houston game, I'm going to go ahead and make it a pass as well. I do like the Patriots as a 6.5 point teaser leg in this kind of matchup with that number at nine, but it takes two to tango. I don't see a good partner to pair the Patriots with on that six and a half point teaser. So just going to stay away for now at this number. I don't have any interest in laying the full nine with this Patriots offense. And Scott, kind of you touched on their offensive line might be in pretty rough shape. So don't want to lay the big number there. And at the same time, no interest taking a rookie quarterback against Bill Belichick. We've seen how that goes time after time. That does it for the early slate on Sunday. At this stage, we'll call a quick timeout. And thank you to those of you joining us on YouTube. If you could take a quick moment to give us a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, keep things going live in the chat, that would be great. And we'll move right along to the Sunday late slate, kicking that off with Chicago traveling to Las Vegas to take on the Raiders. BetUS currently has the Raiders favored by five and a half total 44 and Chris it seems like you've got a lean to the Raiders but might be waiting on a few factors to see if a better number could become available between now and kickoff um with the Raiders it, it, it was a disappointing performance last week but I, I still feel like there's something different about this team uh and I'm not giving up on them I think they they really played well they're playing well through a lot of different areas of the game and I know it's a short week for them, but uh, I don't trust the Chicago team at all. Uh, they, they lost Montgomery. Um, and, yeah, Fields had a good day, but who did he have a good day against, you know, uh, the Detroit Lions? So uh, I think that I'm hoping that Chicago gets some support so I can come in with the Raiders. Uh, it, it, it's a really close marginal play for me. And I don't sit there and I, I try to create plays for the sake of it. I always have more than enough plays every week. But if uh, there is some optimism uh, behind Chicago uh, and some support for Chicago, and people are not believers in the Raiders. So if this thing goes down any further, if it sees a four, I'm definitely on the Raiders. Uh, and I still may be on the Raiders underneath six. So I just haven't, uh, I need to do a little bit more R&D on this play. Got it. And is it the case where if we see a four, as you mentioned, then you go ahead and pull the trigger. But if, if we're sitting right here at five and a half on Sunday moments before kickoff, is that enough for you to still go ahead and fire a bet on Las Vegas? I don't, I, you know, what? I, I don't, I, 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 I lean toward, I, I want to see the line move one way or another, either if it goes to six, I'm out. And if it goes down, uh, then I'm probably in. Even if it doesn't hit the four, I, I might be in. So, uh, again, I'm not looking to find plays. I want to see, you know, who's playing, who's not playing. You've got the two key cogs in Chicago, as Scott's probably going to tell you, uh, Mac and uh, I forget the other Hicks. guy's name. Hicks. Hicks. Uh, and Hicks is even more important than Mac. Uh, if both of those guys are out, she's. That's pretty good for the Raiders. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if they both play, the Raiders have been okay maintaining pressure on them, you know, on the offensive line, despite their offensive line kind of be banged up and all that. Um, but if they don't play, like you said, Chris, I mean, uh, that's going to be problematic, of course. And the Bears, uh, you know, they are last in the league in allowing uh, sack percentage. And the Raiders, they've slipped a little bit, but they're still 15th best in the league in applying pressure. So they're probably going to put pressure, and it's Justin Fields. And, and let's remember the story with Chicago. Against good teams, they get blown out. Against bad teams, they win. They played Detroit last week. They won. They got blown out at Cleveland. They got blown out at the Rams. Vegas is kind of in between there, so I don't know where to put Vegas in that story. So, uh, But I do make the, uh, the Raiders a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Projected total to be about 44 and a half, 45. So it's kind of all right on the number there. I'll go ahead and add a lean toward the Raiders along with Chris here. I think they're better than what we saw from them under the spotlight on Monday night. They got the Chargers A game, especially in the first half. And on the Bears side of things, they were the beneficiary of what I mentioned earlier, Detroit getting inside the 10-yard line four times without scoring. So if we just see some very simple regression there, that could tilt the scales in favor of the home team in this one. Moving on to the next game on the card, Cleveland traveling out west to take on the Chargers. The Chargers are currently a favorite of two points at BetUS. 
total 47. And Scott, I mentioned a game earlier that I liked as a teaser, like without a good partner at six and a half points. But at the standard six points, the Browns look like a pretty enticing teaser like yeah, I like Cleveland here on on a teaser. Um, I actually, I was just trying to see my line on this one. I uh, I think I favored them by a point or so. I don't see it on my sheet here, but um, you know, Cleveland's averaging over five yards a rush here uh, this year. The Chargers allowing over five yards a rush, and the NFL is a passing league. But this is one spot um, where Cleveland uh, can really probably dominate on the ground, control the clock, move the ball down the field. And I think getting them over a touchdown provides some value here. Uh, you know, one other note on that, though, Matt, Cleveland is bottom 10 in allowing sacks uh, from as a percentage of passes. Chargers top 10. So, um, you know, there could be some trouble there a little bit. But again, if they're going to run the ball, uh, yes. you know, that that alleviates some of those issues as well. Um, and the Browns are bottom 10 in the league in, in big pass plays and the Chargers have been fantastic. Top 10 in the league in, in allowing big pass plays. They allowed the Raiders only three last week. So I like Cleveland in the teaser here. Um, I, I play this under 48 and a half as well. Now the totals come down. If it goes back up to 48, uh, I would look at this as, as an under as well. Yeah, I'm with you on the teaser. I also teased the Browns on Tuesday, but I, I kind of wished for a while that I had taken Chris's advice when it comes to hurry up and wait, because not too long after I teased the Browns up, I saw the cluster injuries pop up for the offensive line, also at defensive end to complement Miles Garrett. We got the Baker Mayfield news yesterday about his torn labrum on his non-throwing shoulder. So there was some trepidation there. Uh, but overall, again, getting the Browns up through a touchdown in this matchup, I think I can you know, still endorse getting in play there. I'm really curious to see what could be an interesting chess match between Brandon Staley and Kevin Stefanski with Staley's cover to you know that high shell on defense probably baiting the browns to go ahead and run and we know that they tend not to have any issues with doing that ultimately if both teams are moving the ball pretty well up and down the field i think this could come down to some red zone efficiency and if we look at the last two weeks in terms of red zone efficiency for these teams excluding kneel downs the chargers have gone eight for nine scoring touchdowns in the red zone the browns just two for five if we see any degree of regression to the mean that could be enough to keep the browns competitive in this one and Chris, you're not even looking to take the extra points. It seems like the short number is good enough for you to get in play on the Browns as well. Yeah, I have. Uh, um, I, I like this spot because uh, Herbert's getting just uh, way too much over promotion. Uh, I, I, I don't think they're running the, the best offense for him. They're, they're kind of reining him in a little bit too much. And he's been bailing them out on third downs all year long. And that's not going to continue. And they're facing a Cleveland team that can apply, you know, some a lot more pressure than what they're used to. If you really examine every team in the league, who's been more consistent than the Cleveland Browns? Uh, and I expect that again. I, I worry a little bit that it's their second road game in a row, but Chargers offer of that big Monday night uh, football in front of their, uh, you know, rowdy home crowd of uh, the dog pound that will, that will be there. I, I favor Cleveland. I, I don't have them metrically close. So the fact that Cleveland's getting points, uh, again, I'll, I'll, I'll be a, a broken record. Anything can happen in one game, but in this exact situation, I'm going to win more often than I'm going to lose. Yeah, and when it comes to taking the short number plus two, I know in the first game we broke down, the Jets is a short dog. You went ahead and took a plus number on the money line. Uh, in this case, are you more leaning toward the Browns at that plus two, or would you also look toward a plus number for the money line on Cleveland in this case as well? Oh, I, I actually found a three on this yesterday, uh, minus 118. So I, I took the plus three. I, I, I bet them on the money line in. I bet them uh, uh, in some round robin parlays, uh, taking a shot with them with a few other underdogs, which I, I kind of like to do for small money, nothing important. So don't get carried away in your parlays, but uh, uh um, so yeah, I, I think they win the game outright. Got it. All right. Well, the three of us, some pretty good consensus there when it comes to the Browns taking on the Chargers on Sunday. Next game on the board, the Giants traveling to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. Cowboys currently laying a touchdown, total of 52. And Scott, that's a fairly high total, but it might be justified when it comes to the amount of time that Daniel Jones and Dak Prescott could have to throw when they drop back in this one. 
Yeah, I, I made the number 51, and I actually did play over 51 and a half. I'm not advocating for the over in terms of playing it because the value's not there. But um, the matchup, I think, does possibly allow for that to happen. Both these teams are in the top half of the league and lowest per sack percentage allowed. And they're both in the bottom 10 in the league and generating pressure. So what's that translate to? Both these guys should have time to throw the ball. And obviously, I don't think the Giants are going to get backs uh, either their two receivers that were out last week. If they did, that would only help. But uh, even without them, uh, Daniel Jones actually throws a pretty good long ball, which is kind of shocking you know, for all the ridicule he gets. Um, but the fact that neither team really gets sacked a lot, neither team puts pressure, that these teams uh, should be able to throw the ball some, I think does lead to possibly a higher scoring game in this game. Yeah, and when it comes to the cornerback play on both sides, I know a lot of talk about Diggs making some big plays for the Cowboys. I don't even know how many interceptions he has at this point. I feel like he's getting another one every time I look up at the screen. But when it comes to a metric you look at, yards per snap allowed, um, it seems like there's a lot to be desired for corners on both sides in this one. Yeah, you know, I, I think Diggs is probably a ball hawk, and, and there's something to be said for that, certainly. But him and Anthony Brown, they're bottom 25% in yards per cover snap allowed. Uh, as is James Bradbury for the Giants, who had a great year last year, uh, but he has been below average this year as well. So I think there's going to be plays to be made in the secondary. The Giants will have no problem throwing the ball. The Cowboys want to run the ball a little bit as well, but uh, I think both these secondaries are going to allow for some plays to be made. And remember, these two teams played this exact week last year. It's the game Dak got hurt. Uh, I think that the Cowboys were roughly about the same favorite, uh, roughly about the same total. That thing ended up 37-34. Um, so for this thing to get into the high 50s or low 60s, it would not surprise me uh, just based on the matchups. Chris, this could have the makings of a shootout, especially considering Daniel Jones has pretty much cleaned up his act, and that could bode pretty well for the Giants' offense. Yeah, his offensive line has been really, uh, they've been really overperforming, quite frankly, uh, and protecting him. And when he's protected, he's a darn good quarterback, quite frankly. And uh, as Scott mentioned, uh, with his you know main receivers out last week, what did that make him do? He had to find new receivers, new relationships, and that's gonna make that's gonna be even better for him throughout the season. I just did see something scroll across. Uh, it appeared like uh, he's not getting back those receivers this week. Uh, it was hopeful that at least one of them, I think Shepard, would come back, but. I'm pretty sure with my uh, fuzzy vision, I saw that uh, neither one of them are going to be able to make it back. Uh, I, I I think this many points in a divisional game uh, with the New York Giants having coming off a good win and and Dallas just being you know flying higher than a kite, boy, that looks like a lot of points to me. But my metrics do not support it, which I'm kind of glad. Uh, uh, I hope it just sits there at the seven, so I don't have to get involved in this game. But uh, my head says the Giants, but I won't. Um, but my wallet will not be interacting with that thought. Nor will mine. I think that this <laughs> is uh, a fair one to pass for me. I do like that the Cowboys, you know, they really put it on the Panthers last week, winning yards per play by more than two full yards. And that final score was misleading to me. I don't view that as a true one possession game, considering Dallas was up by 22 with nine minutes left before they eased off the gas. So, yeah, the Giants have been moving in the right direction, but the Cowboys offense has been an absolute juggernaut. So I think this number seems pretty big, but might also be, you know, just in the right place. Moving from the NFC East to an NFC West showdown on Sunday, San Francisco traveling to Arizona to take on the Cardinals. BetUS has the Cardinals laying four and a half, total 49 and a half. And Chris, the Sharps. Pretty big on the Niners so far this week, judging by, you know, what a lot of us have been seeing out there in this space. What do you make of the action that we've seen thus far? Well, this is one of those uh, uh, look-ahead line games. Uh, I actually couldn't sleep last night, and I watched some YouTube videos, and uh, it seemed like every show that talked about it was like, well, the look-ahead line was this, and, you know, it's gone up like five points. Well, so what? I mean, what do the stats say? So now, if you want to look situationally, uh, you know, San Francisco's coming off a pretty, you know, crummy game. Uh, they're not getting Garoppolo back. I saw that scroll across. Uh, so we've got the rookie quarterback on the road 
facing a team that's on a roll. And you know what I don't like to do? I don't like to step uh, I don't like to step in front of a team on a roll. It's like catching a falling knife, you know? So I am probably going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe when this hits three and a half or four and the sharps have brought it down because uh, I, I'm showing value on Arizona. They're playing at home. Uh, I, I think I might just uh, take a taste of them as soon as this line is done going down because of that uh, uh, look-ahead line strategy. If I have anything to say in the matter, you will have that chance because I have gone ahead and bet the 49ers at the current price of plus four and a half. That would be my you know, minimum number of points that I want to go ahead and get and play on San Francisco. So if this crosses through the four, I'm not necessarily disputing your notions to take the Cardinals. But look ahead line, silliness aside, I think that this could be a pretty good buy low, sell high spot. And in terms of buying low on San Francisco, last week against the Seahawks, their offense only converted two of 14 third downs. That's just 14%. Their defense went 0 for 4 in the red zone when it came to keeping Seattle out of the end zone. The Niners also went minus two in turnovers. So even though they won by two yards per play, they still lost that game by a touchdown. I think that was a bit of a misleading result. And as far as the Cardinals go, selling high in this sense, last week against the Rams, that Arizona offense, 8 for 13 on third down, 62%. That's pretty tough to repeat over the long term. Also, plus two for turnovers for Arizona. And let's not forget, you know, the Cardinals, they trailed Jacksonville at halftime in week three. They were a short field goal from losing at home to the one and three Vikings in week two. And I don't want to take away too much from the way the Cardinals have started the season. I loved backing them in week one and seeing them demolish the Titans. Make no mistake about it. They've been impressive, but I also think they've gotten fortunate along the way. So I'm taking San Francisco in this one, understanding that the wild card here is Trey Lance. That adds a lot of variance to the equation. But I can't help but think of last year's game. I think it was the day after Christmas, the Niners in Arizona. A similar number. C.J. Beathard was the Niners quarterback in that one. They had even more injuries in San Francisco one-handedly. I wouldn't be shocked to see San Francisco come out on top in this one. But, Scott, am I crazy? What do you make of this matchup? Uh, well, Chris, you'll be very happy to know I make the line five and a half. So forget about the look-ahead line. This line's about, you know, came out in about where it should be. Uh, yeah. So, you know, wherever this line goes will kind of dictate that. I made the total 49. Uh, if this thing, you know, it was, I think, 53 early in the week got bet down. If it would creep back up, I don't know that it will, but if it would creep back up 51, maybe over 51, uh, you know, like 51 and a half, I may take a bite on the under simply because I think the 49ers are going to want to run the ball. Arizona does allow that uh, to happen. Um, and like you said, I don't know what we're going to get from Trey Lance. He didn't look great last week, but, you know, his, his defense, he was thrown in there. Um, but I, I could see this game being lower scoring. I'd just like to see a few more points uh, that before I would take that bite. You know, I, I, I see the San Francisco might be a real overrated team. I mean, I don't have – they really struggled against Seattle. I mean, obviously, stat-wise, they should have won the game, but they didn't win that game. And Seattle's not a top-15 team. Uh, the week before, they lose to Green Bay. They pissed that game away. Green Bay, in my opinion, is not a top 15 team, okay? I know a lot of people would argue with that, but they're not playing metrically as a top 15 team. The game before that, yeah, they beat Philadelphia, but uh, that was a struggle for them. You know, they pulled away late, and that game could have gone either way, and then you've got Detroit. Basically, San Francisco has shown us nothing, and I, I thought that they would, you know, run away with this division, quite frankly. So, I, you know, I had a little emotional investment into supporting them. But like I said, I pivot right away. I, I, I see what the facts tell me, and San Francisco has demonstrated jack squat. Show me. Show me. Hey, hey Chris, uh, sorry, Matt. It just I think you're spot on. I like San Francisco early in the year, getting all these guys back healthy. Obviously, they've had a bunch of injuries, but I'm watching them every week. I've had the same thoughts. I'm like, I don't think this team is that good. And um, and I just think it's interesting because this division is supposed to be the best division. I'm not saying it is or isn't, but Seattle doesn't look that good now. I mean, some true colors are starting to come out here. And um, I think we need to look at San Francisco a little bit differently. I agree. If the 49ers face plan in this one on Sunday, I'll be quick to pivot and join you guys. I'm not quite ready to abandon ship just yet. That Philadelphia game in week two came up. I know, Scott, you and I went head-to-head -head in that one. And by the sound of it, Chris, you and I might be going head-to-head -head in a sense with me once again on the 49ers come Sunday. 
So it'll be interesting to circle back on this one on our Tuesday show to see how things worked out. Moving from the NFC to the AFC, Sunday Night Football, a primetime AFC Championship game rematch. Buffalo taking on the Chiefs. Kansas City currently minus three at even money at home. Total way up there at 56 and a half. And Chris, what do you make of this one and having a side? Um, we're on the Buffalo-Kansas City game. Jeez, boy, this one's going to be a thorn in my side. Uh, this is a this, this is such an odd game because you've got Kansas City, who's off the charts offensively. I mean, they are miles ahead on their performance. Uh, they're dead last almost, and uh, they're third from last in defense. So you've got Buffalo right up there at the top, number one in defense, but they played a kind of weak schedule. But they spent their offseason tuning their defense up specifically for Kansas City. And this is where we're going to see the results. Metrically, this line isn't even close on my charts. But I have to make a lot of adjustments based on, on you know, Kansas City's had a much uh, you know, harder strength of schedule. And Buffalo, a much lower strength of schedule. But Buffalo, it seems to be kind of on a roll. Kansas City's making mistakes. So without babbling too long, uh, I still like Buffalo in this situation. I equated identically to, I said, I'm never betting Baltimore against Kansas City last year. I bet Baltimore against Kansas City this year and Baltimore won. I said, I'm never betting Baltimore against Kansas City last year when they got rolled by him twice. I'm betting Buffalo against Kansas City this year. Yeah, well, I'm not necessarily going to go head-to-head with you there, but I am in play on an angle with the Chiefs, taking their team total over 30, which is the current price at BetUS. And, Chris, you talk about that Bills defense retooling specifically for this matchup. I think you could say similar things about the Chiefs' offensive line, so we could see some improvement on both sides in the trenches here. But the Chiefs' offense, number one in EPA per play right now, and frankly, it's not even close. And that Bills defense, once again, they've – Looked great so far, and I want to give them credit for manhandling the competition that's been given to them. But I do think it's important to keep in mind the quarterbacks they've played. Big Ben on his last legs and three backups. So it's a massive step up in class here for them. And Matt Milano's status has been up in the air. I'm going to be keeping a close eye on that because if he can't go, or even if he plays but is limited, it could be really tough for Buffalo to contain a guy like Travis Kelsey. He's limited. He's at practice today uh, in a limited role, so uh, he's on track to play. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. So, uh, yeah, that's. I I have no interest in getting in play on the Kansas City, you know, full game number with the Chiefs' defense being a possible liability. But I feel good about their offense being able to eclipse 30 points. Scott, what do you make of this fascinating primetime matchup on Sunday night at Arrowhead? Oh, I think it's going to be great. And I think, you know, Kansas City, that offense – it sounds crazy to say, but they're almost flying under the radar because they've lost a couple games. Their defense has been bad. But this offense is just lights out right now. It's unbelievable. Uh, but as Chris said, I've got their their defense ranked last uh, from a success rate standpoint. And I would call it a net success rate standpoint, meaning it does factor in the people they've played. So I've got Kansas City one in offense, 32 on defense. I've got Buffalo five on offense. And um, I don't. Oh, oh, and then uh, number one on defense for Buffalo. So, and that does consider who they played. But let's face it, we're four weeks in. That stuff can change very quickly. Four weeks does not make a season in terms of those numbers. Um, I did take Buffalo earlier in the week uh, when it was at two and a half on a little teaser up to eight and a half. Um, I make the number three point four for Kansas City. But a lot of that is because of the priors, uh, and I still give a fair amount of weight to the priors. The other models I use, which are all all in season, all kind of favor Buffalo uh, slightly to some degree. So I'm going to sit back and watch. I do have the teaser in play at plus eight and a half. I feel pretty good about that. But other than that, I'm going to watch, and we're going to find out how good the Buffalo defense is, and we're going to find out if Buffalo can you know score on this defense of Kansas City, which they should be able to. KC does get a couple guys back. Frank Clark coming back, uh, and and a couple other people in the secondary. So we'll see if that helps the defense. But their defense is leaving a lot to be desired right now. 
When it comes to that teaser, Scott, I know you said you feel pretty good about it. I also see on our sheet, you project this game to have more than 60 points. And a lot of times in high totals, that can mean more variance and teasing an underdog up might lose some of its luster. So what has you still feeling bullish about this teaser like with the Bills? Uh, you're right. There is more variance, certainly, when you get this high of a total. Uh, I don't think I'm playing this game over just because it's such a high total. But I just kind of like the matchup. And getting eight and a half points against a team whose defense is really bad right now. Um, that seems pretty lucrative to me. Um, I will find out I could be wrong. We could find out Buffalo's not quite as good as they've looked. And that would be a, a result of the competition they've played. But, um, I think that's a lot of points to be grabbing, um, against this type of defense. We have a question that just came in from the live chat about this game as well from Birdie. And the one big moment this year, Allen reverted back to 55%. Why won't that happen here? And Chris, if you have any thoughts, I'd like to get your take on it because leading up to the season, you mentioned that you weren't completely sold on Josh Allen's 2020 turnaround being a permanent change for him. But based on what you've seen over the course of the past couple of weeks where he has looked better, do you feel good about Allen's accuracy holding up moving forward? Yeah, the one thing that concerns me about Buffalo is one of their their metrics that is is significantly worse. Last year, I believe they were number one in the league with you know off of first downs and uh, um, a specific first down stat where they're they're getting um, uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, this year, that metric is in like 16, 17, 18 range. And that's a huge difference. So you've got a winning team, and they're finding a way to win. Yet uh, this all-important metric of giving them great ball control and a great advantage off a of first down, it ain't working the same way as it, as it was last year. So that's a concern for me. And 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 Allen did have that slow start, but he's demonstrated that uh, he can get it done. I I don't think he's he's having as good a year as he he had last year, but. You know, it's kind of hard to expect, but as long as it's an above average year, that really helps the team. Yeah, some good food for thought. Plenty of intrigue on Sunday night at Arrowhead Stadium. And we've got another big AFC matchup on Monday night. At least one of these teams being a heavyweight to, you know, pursue the conference crown. The Ravens hosting the Colts. Baltimore currently laying seven, total of 46. And Scott, this rounds out the teaser we talked about earlier with the Browns. Yeah, I, I like him in a teaser with the Browns. I, I know we've kind of preached in here, tease through the seven and the three, uh, and I, I think that's solid advice. Although since since 2015, um, when the scoring process has changed a little bit, there's still some value here uh, in teasing a seven down to one um, as well. And, you know, Baltimore looks like they're finally starting to show up here a little bit. You know, they, they got off to a sluggish start with some of the injuries and whatnot. But I'm looking here in, in this net uh, success rate that I look at. They're number nine in offense. India is number 31. Baltimore is number five in defense. So the defense is really starting to show up here. Uh, India's 10th worst in defense. So uh, and I, I get value on Baltimore in this game with my numbers. Um and remember, we talked about this in the preseason. This is the first opportunity we'll get a chance to see this uh, this year. But with Lamar Jackson, Baltimore's 12 and two straight up as a favorite of more than six points at home, um, meaning that they've taken care of business when they're installed as a bigger favorite against an inferior team. Uh, we see this now. And Chris kind of spoke about this. We talked about them on the road, kind of being bullies, and they haven't necessarily showed that personality 100% this year. Um, but they do seem to be kind of rounding into form here a little bit and get their legs underneath them. And um, look, Frank Wright's a very good coach. So you're always dealing with that a little bit. But man, I just see Carson Wentz as um, kind of being just a standing uh, statue back there. And I think it's going to be tr uh, problematic for, for Indianapolis in this game. And I think Baltimore has a reasonable chance to simply win the game. Yeah, I'm with you there. And we talked uh, earlier this week about the Saints teaser not working out last week, a cautionary tale and teasing a team down from the flat seven. But as far as the Ravens go here, on top of what you just mentioned, I have seen some juicy minus sevens for the Ravens start to pop up. And that gets pretty comparable to a seven and a half. So that gives me some confidence rolling with the Ravens here. I also like that the Ravens passing game seems to be on the rise, going over 300 yards against a really good Denver secondary on the road last week. 
and some reinforcements appear to be on the way with Rashad Bateman and Miles Boykin making progress and their returns from injury. So that could be a nice added dimension to a Ravens offense that's already been elite on the ground for some time now. And when it comes to the Colts, Scott, you touched on it. Carson once quite susceptible to the blitz. The Ravens, with their blitz-heavy scheme, might have their way on both sides of the ball here. And Chris, I want to kick it over to you because that's a lot of <laughs> raving about the Ravens, so to speak, from me and Scott. Are we off based on that, or where do you feel this Monday night matchup nets out? Well, I don't have Baltimore's defense in the top 10, Scott. So, uh, you know, of course they had Kansas City on the schedule to kind of distort a few things, but uh, and the Raiders uh, scored a bunch on them. So uh, th- this Colts team... I've heard some good things this week about uh, Wentz, and somehow he's healthier. Somehow there's some sort of uh, uh, breaking bread. You know, getting that win last week, uh, you know, seemed to have been very good for them. But they're always constantly banged up and, and unpredictable. And my metrics say they lean slightly toward Indianapolis, but not enough to have a play. And... I'm going to follow my own advice and uh, just sit a game out. You know, sometimes the best plays that you make are the ones that you sit out. I I can see the game going all three ways. I could see a complete Baltimore blowout. I could see Indianapolis scrapping to a win. And I could see uh, the teaser making the difference for Scott. So I have no need to be involved in the game. I I think it's a very interesting game to watch because both of these teams could be in the mix at the end of the year. To your point about the best bet you make sometimes being the one that you just sit out altogether, I fully agree that as bettors, our biggest edge is the ability to pick our spots. The books have to list lines for every game, and we can choose when and where we want to get down. But that said, we do have some best bets that we can pull up on the screen here to give an overview of the Week 5 card. And we have some pretty good consensus in a couple spots here, both Chris and Scott on the Bengals at plus three. Scott and I teasing the Browns up to plus eight, pairing that with the Ravens minus one. And beyond that, Chris on the Jets money line, laying the points with the Saints, uh, also taking the Browns just at that plus two and on the Bills plus three. I'm rolling with the Niners plus four and a half in Arizona, taking the Chiefs team total over 30 on Sunday night. Scott going with a team total over as well. Tampa Bay over 28 and a half. That just about does it for what we've got for everybody for week five. I'd like to thank you all for tuning in. If you're watching us live on YouTube, please take a quick moment to give us a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. And last but not least, remember you can sign up at BetUS using that promo code NFL2021 for a 125% sign up bonus. Best of luck with your week five bets, everybody. We'll be back with you live on Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. 230 Pacific for an early look at week six. We'll see you then right back here at BetUS where the game begins.